Well, good morning, Salt Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good deal. Cynthia Carter, I'm glad you're doing well. Um, hey, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're first time joining us, thank you so much for being here this morning. It's our honor that you uh, decided to check us out this morning, and uh, hopefully you felt welcome. And uh, so anyway, uh, I have a couple announcements to make before I start. And I'm excited to announce that Salt Church, it's 2023, we're finally moving into like 2010 at Salt Church with these things called podcasts. Uh, So we are like super high tech now, two years old, high tech as a church. Uh, So we get a lot of people like will come up to me like, hey, I missed a Sunday, I wanted to listen to the sermon, but you make me go on YouTube. And every time I close my phone, YouTube stops. So we're just here to help you, okay? So we started my sermons. I'm trying to get as famous as I can get, okay? Uh, my sermons are now on podcast form. So if you miss, <laughs> Garrett Cox, you're excited. Um, so if you miss a Sunday, you can hear it on a podcast. Just search Salt Church, where there's like three other Salt Churches. I don't need to rank high. Let's just beat the other Salt Churches. We got like eight subscribers right now. We're killing it. Um, so that is that podcast. Uh, it comes out, I think, on Monday mornings. I don't know. Just look. Uh, And then the other one, I'm actually excited about this one. So, uh, Hey Church. Uh, So, this is a cool idea. So, Brad Hart, who is going to be an elder here, Stacy Hilby, who runs our women's ministry, and Matt Murphy, who is our youth and adult discipleship pastor. They put their brains together. That's a lot of brains. And they said, hey, we want to start a podcast. And they named it Hey Church. We get asked a lot of questions. Uh, what does the Bible say about this? What does this mean in the Bible? Uh, theologically, how can I relate Christianity to culture? All kinds of stuff. So this is kind of an open door for the church to just ask questions, and then they'll be answered. Just really cool uh, conversation happen within a podcast. So the first episode drops tomorrow. So it's called Hey Church. It's the only podcast named that. Uh, and you just search Hey Church. I'm an Apple guy, but if you're lame and you need to use Spotify, you could search on there. Um, whatever. It's called Hey Church. Now, if you want to submit a question, just your deepest questions you've ever had about God, ask them, not me. Uh, so it's Hey Church at saltchurchaz.com. Uh, go ahead and email that. That is an active email, and they'll start answering your questions. This is going to be a really cool thing uh, for our church. So podcasts, here we go. All right, so we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. I know it's only four verses, uh, but just trust me, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. So we're in week four of our Sermon on the Mount series, and uh, our text this morning, so we've been over uh, the Beatitudes, we've been over, last week it was Be Salt and Light. Uh, This week is kind of like the beginning of the meat of Jesus' sermon. So he's going to lay down a lot of ground rules, and he's going to say some extremely controversial stuff and stuff that helps us as believers in 2023 interpret the Bible. Um, So we're going to see that a really good thing, he announces like the arrival of his kingdom, which is good news for us, but when he does that, it causes a little bit of spark in the people that day when he's delivering this sermon. Um, I prayed all week just that this would be received well, and I think the thing I kept praying is like, I just, there's a lot I'm going to throw at you. I just want you to leave and understand like how beautiful and how gracious and how awesome Jesus Christ is this morning. So we're in one of the most talked about passages of the Bible, one of the most controversial passages in the Bible. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 17 through 20. Uh, While you're doing that, I'm going to pray and then we'll get rolling. Uh, God, I thank you so much for how great you are, and uh, Lord, I thank you for our church. 
Uh, Lord, I thank you for just the ministry of your spirit. Um, so, God, in this place, I just pray as we open your word and read your word, Lord, that you would illuminate the scripture for us. Uh, God, that you would open our hearts to see ways that, Lord, we need to repent and move towards you. Um, but, God, just be with us this morning as we open your word. Just uh, be present in this place. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 17. Uh, Jesus says this, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, Jesus starts off with a very strong statement in his sermon to like set the tone. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Uh, so we're going to define quite a few terms this morning. Uh, the first term is what does he mean when he says the law and the prophets? When that phrase is used, the law or the law and the prophets, or sometimes it's the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, uh, when Jesus says stuff like this, he's referring to the entirety of the Old Testament. Uh, so I want to give that a little clarity this morning. Uh, a lot of us, we hear the word law, we think like big, thick books or expensive attorneys, or maybe you go like 11 over the speed limit down Perryville, and the sheriff pulls you over, and they're just giving you the law, right? We think law is rules, stipulations. You read through the book of Leviticus, and you're like, what in the world is going on here? What are all these things? Those are laws that God gave to His people and told them, this is the law of my land, essentially. So, actual laws are part of the law, but you need to see this, what Jesus meant it to be heard. It's the eyes of the entire narrative of Scripture. Uh, this is why at Salt Church we stress the fact that all 66 books of the Bible are one big story. Uh, so, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, the law would have been the first five books of the Old Testament. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, also called the Pentateuch or the Book of Moses, the books that all of you give up on your Bible reading plan when you get to any of those books. Um, if you're familiar in Scripture, what's included in the law, those five books? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stipulations around like what to eat, how to do sacrifices, how to relate to your neighbor or whatever. Uh, but also you have in those five books like the very beginning and foundational narrative of God's entire redemptive plan. Uh, you just take Genesis. Genesis would be considered a book of the law. In Genesis, you have the creation of everything. Uh, you have Adam and Eve sinning in Genesis 3. Abraham being chosen as a representative of God's people in Genesis 12 and 15. And then you see kind of the history of God's people early on grow and develop in Genesis. You have the Old Testament Scripture. From the beginning, God working His redemptive plan. Then you have the prophets, right? The prophets were the books where prophets would be raised up and would be chosen to basically go to God's people and then tell them, you're not living according to the law, and then tell them how they should interpret it. And they weren't popular guys. So when Jesus says law and prophets, he's not just talking about a bunch of rules. He's talking about the entirety of Scripture, the Old Testament. When Jesus says Scripture, he doesn't have the New Testament. All he has is the Old Testament. And he's saying right off the bat, like, I did not come to abolish this. Uh, that word abolish also means like destroy, uh, overthrow, tear down. He's saying, I'm not going to throw that away. That's not what I'm here for. Well, why would he even have to say that? Like, shouldn't that just be a given? 
Um, just a little context of what's going on here. Uh, if you remember the first week, the intro to this sermon series, I talked about how before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was doing a ton of ministry. He was going through this place called Galilee. And Matthew tells us that he went throughout Galilee and he healed the sick, he taught in the synagogues, all while announcing his kingdom. But he kind of did that village by village. And then the Sermon on the Mount he stands up and does his first public teaching. But before that, he's doing ministry out in public, rubbing elbows with the people. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, you see Jesus right from the beginning, prior to the Sermon on the Mount, the minute he starts doing things, he starts to have conflict with his religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Uh, on one occasion, Jesus' disciples on the Sabbath, they're walking alongside the road, and they plucked a head of grains because they were hungry. That was on the Sabbath. Well, that was a no-no. Uh, that was considered work. And according to Jewish law, you're not able to do anything that's considered work on the Sabbath. And plucking a head of grain was considered work. Uh, it got so out of control that you weren't allowed to lift a finger. Like if your house was burning down, uh, you weren't allowed to extinguish a flame. So you just let it burn, I guess. Um, so you can imagine plucking heads of grain didn't sit well. Uh, Pharisees confront Jesus. They're like, hey man, why are you doing that? Why are you and your guys plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus just looks at him and is like, because I'm Jesus, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That didn't go over well when Jesus said that. They're like, what? And then he proceeds to then walk into the synagogue, sees a man with a withered hand, heals him on the spot on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are like, dude, you're working on the Sabbath. Stop. They don't understand what he's doing. So what they start to do immediately is they're like looking at Jesus with this side eye. Uh, not just that, but Jesus wasn't like the other people who taught. Uh, Jesus didn't grow up a Pharisee. He didn't get to go to the fancy schools. Jesus was like public school educated. He didn't sit under a rabbi. Uh, yet he said things like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He did things that broke their perceived version of the law. And he said things, as we'll see this morning, with authority that nobody else had. So this is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount kind of starts off the meat of the sermon by just clarifying this for everybody. And this is really like foundational to not just the next five weeks, but the entire series. He makes it clear. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think I've come to throw out the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish that, but to fulfill it. So instead of just doing away with the law, he actually goes the complete opposite way. He says, I came to fulfill the law. That's a huge statement that like no one else could make. The religious leaders of the day, they could like try their best to follow the law and the prophets, but they would fall short all the time. Jesus is saying, no, not only do I follow it, I fulfill it. There's a huge difference there. And I want to take some time to explain this because this is an important thing to understand. Uh, a lot of us read the Old Testament and we're like, why don't we have to follow those rules? Uh, why don't I have to sacrifice and do all that? I'm hoping to get that out in the open why we don't do that. That word fulfill is a very, very big word, a very important word in the uh, book of Matthew. Uh, so anytime you see a word repeated by a biblical author, that kind of gives you a hint that it's a theme. So that word fulfill in the Greek is, you say plerao, that's how you pronounce it, and plerao is used 17 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Anytime you see word usage like that, that heightens your awareness. Matthew's trying to tell us something. So let's just see, how does he use that word fulfill before Matthew 5? Uh, first thing he says in Matthew 1, you have the story of Christmas, right? Uh, we covered this a couple weeks ago, but just a refresher. An angel appears to Joseph, uh, tells Joseph, 
Uh, she, that's Mary, uh, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I underline the key words. All this took place to fulfill, plerao, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Remember what Jesus says. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So verse 23 is a direct quote to Isaiah 7.14. In Isaiah 7.14, the prophecy goes forward, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesies this, and then all of a sudden, what happens? You fast forward to 3 BC, a virgin gets pregnant, gives birth to a son, they name him Jesus. That prophecy through Jesus is then fulfilled. So the same Jesus is now standing up on a mountain giving a sermon in Matthew 5, and he's saying, I came to fulfill the Old Testament, meaning one thing, in a predictive sense. All the predictive prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, I'm here. They're all pointing to me. The promised Messiah that was supposed to come, that's me. That's what Jesus is claiming. But let me just give you one more to drive the point home. Uh, Matthew 2 Jesus is born, right? King Herod finds out that the Messiah has been born, and then he gets threatened by it. He commits then to murder every male child in Bethlehem that's under two. Uh, the angel of the Lord yet again appears to Joseph, tells Joseph, take Mary, take baby Jesus, just get out of here, go to Egypt. Uh, so Joseph obeys. Uh, Matthew tells us, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Again, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Uh, in this case, this is a reference to the prophet Hosea. Uh, minor prophet in the Old Testament, Hosea 11.1. 1. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. If you have any familiarity with Scripture, you know that that's not anything about Jesus. Uh, that's about God's people when they're in, in Egypt and the Exodus. When God's people are slaves in Egypt, yet God brought them out of slavery, he says that out of Egypt I called my son. So try real quick to keep up here. I'm trying to do some gymnastics. But God saving his people in Exodus, that's the thing on the left, the prophet Hosea is pointing backwards to. Now the angel in Matthew 2, Jesus and Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt, it points back to Hosea 11. So take away like all the prophecies that are predictive. What's going on here? This is the story of salvation. You see that from the beginning, the entire Old Testament tells the story of salvation. You have prophecy in the law, which is the book of Exodus. You have prophecy in Hosea, which is a prophet. And then all of that points to Christ. The story of God's people, the story of God's love for his people, the Bible, all one big story, God's plan of redemption, took place during the Exodus, is reminded in the book of Hosea, and now his whole redemptive plan is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So back to our text this morning. When Jesus says that he did not come to destroy the law, but rather he came to fulfill it, he He's saying the exact thing that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to was him. He's the fulfillment of it all. He's the Messiah. 
He's the centerpiece of God's plan to save his people. He's saying, I'm the Christ. So just to give you a helpful word picture, think of it as like a flower. Um, J.C. Ryle said, the Old Testament is the gospel in the bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full flower. That starts to make a little more sense. I could have just said that at the beginning. So basically, the Old Testament's not in your Bible to be cut out. Uh, It's not in your Bible to be ignored. It's not in your Bible to just throw away. It's there because all of it points to Christ. And then Jesus doubles down in the sermon. He says in verse 18, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Uh, Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What Jesus is trying to communicate, he's saying the, mi- the most minute details of the law aren't going anywhere. Uh, the law isn't going anywhere. Uh, An iota is the Greek letter I. It's the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. Uh, but then he says not just an iota, but a dot. Uh, if you uh, use the King James, it says not a jot, but a tittle. That's Hebrew. And I'm guessing a lot of you don't speak Hebrew. Uh, so in Hebrew, there's like little dots. It's like the most confusing thing, and you read it backwards. It's a mess. Uh, so when he says that, he's like the law, literally every little part of it. Uh, so I threw you guys off, and none of you probably realize that because you don't have an eye for design. On the bulletin, we switched the font. Our font is normally Avenir. We switched it to uh, some serif font. So if you see in your bulletin, like my sermon title, From Law to Kingdom, that word law has those little like weird things on the L. Those are what's called serifs. That's what Jesus is trying to say by like dots. You're like, I didn't come to learn about fonts. Well, too bad. Um, All that stuff. What Jesus is saying, like the smallest serif, the smallest I, the smallest dot, the smallest letter, none of those things in the Old Testament are going anywhere. The smallest detail of the law is going nowhere because Jesus didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. So if you're sitting there with your wheels turning, like, I don't understand. Like the Old Testament says, I I can't eat pork, and I've got a pork shoulder on my Traeger right now. Uh, The Old Testament tells me I can't work on Sundays, but my job makes me work on Sundays. What do I do? The Old Testament tells me I can't wear both linen and wool at the same time, and my wife bought me this fancy jacket. How am I supposed to deal with all these things? Uh, If Jesus didn't come to abolish the law then why don't we follow the Old Testament law? Uh, Let me try to make this clear. Again, Jesus came to fulfill it, not destroy it. Uh, Jesus says a very key thing in this verse. He uses a time period. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. Well, when's that? Um, In Matthew 24, I know we're kind of all over the place with scriptures this morning. I'm just trying to show you again, Jesus is the centerpiece of the Bible. Uh, Matthew 24, starting in verse 29, Jesus starts talking about everybody's favorite subject, the tribulation. Uh, He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. So this is Jesus describing like when he returns to earth. This hasn't happened yet. So in Acts 1, remember, we're told that Jesus will come back in the same way that he left. He'll come through the clouds. Jesus will one day return to this earth. Uh, Then he says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. 
As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things, all those things of the tribulation, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. That sounds familiar, right? He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So here he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? Heaven and earth will pass away from, until the law does right? So notice in Matthew 24, Jesus then replaces the law and the prophets with, my words will never pass away. Jesus's words are the fulfillment of the law. And he's saying those things aren't going anywhere. And this brings clarity as Christians of who we are to follow. Uh, we're not supposed to just throw out the Old Testament because again, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament. Instead, we're called to obey the words of Christ because He is the one who's the fulfillment of the law. Christ does not contradict the law, He fulfills it. If the Old Testament is the bud, the New Testament is the flower. The two things work together. This simply means for us that Jesus' words matter. Jesus' commands throughout Scripture matter. What Scripture says matters. You can't just cut out what you don't like about the Bible. So now in verse 19, you're going to see Jesus kind of pivot, and He's going to say, like, what does this mean for us? And He's going to use one word three times, and it's an important word. It's kingdom. In verse 19, He says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus says these commandments, he's referring to everything he's about to say. Not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but everything he's going to teach for his whole entire life. His commands, the things Jesus tells us to do, the things he puts in front of us so that we might have life and flourish. Things like don't be angry with your brother. Uh, don't lust after a person of the opposite sex. Uh, don't seek to just frivolously commit divorce. Uh, love your enemies. Don't retaliate. Commands that Jesus Christ gives all throughout the Gospels. And here you see Jesus point to two different types of people. He says the first group of people are those who are just going to relax. Even the least of these commandments... The smallest commandments, like the easiest things to follow, the smallest ways to be obedient, these people don't follow them. Not only do they not follow them, they teach other people not to follow them. These are people that you as Christians and me as a Christian should steer clear of. The people who say like, oh, just ignore that. Like the Bible can't possibly mean that. Oh no, cut that out. It's 2023. Jesus didn't know our culture. Or what does God know about our happiness? He's just like some cosmic thing up there in the sky. It's simple. Jesus is saying you relax the commands of Christ, you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. Then the second group is the opposite. Those who do the command and teach them. They're called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do the commands. Read the commands. Know the commands. Follow the commands. Follow Christ in your life and then teach others to do the same. That's what we call discipleship. Discipleship doesn't just expire on you. You should teach other people to do what you do. But notice the order. Do the commands before you teach them. If you teach the commands and don't do them, you're what's called a hypocrite. Uh, And Jesus points out who the hypocrites are. Verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is where Jesus kind of just lands the plane and just flips all their expectations around. 
Unless your righteousness is greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees, like the scribes and Pharisees were the most righteous guys in the land. Uh, What does that mean? Those guys knew everything. Uh, They knew the whole law. They had it memorized. They followed it to a T. These guys were rabbis. They had disciples under them. If that's not righteousness, I don't really know what is. We'll see this in the next five weeks. That last verse, when Jesus talks about those who relax the least of these commandments, he's coming at the Pharisees when he says that. He's saying, I'm talking about you, Pharisees, and all throughout Matthew 5, you're going to hear Jesus compete with the message of the Pharisees by doing this. He says, you've heard it said this, but I'm the one who says this. You're going to hear that a lot. It's because why? The Pharisees knew the law. They could tell you what the law says, but the Pharisees didn't follow the law. They knew what the law said about divorce, but they relaxed it so that it wasn't hard to obey. They knew what the law said about how to treat someone else, but they relaxed it so they just kind of boiled it down to murder. They couldn't follow the law, so what did they do? Like all of us would do, we just make the law easier to follow. We interpret the law however we would want. In reality, the Pharisees weren't following the law at all. They were messing it up. And then Jesus comes on the mountain that day and lets them know, hey, it's really not even as easy as you're making it. Following me is way harder than you think it is. So these guys are just really righteous, but they looked like it. Uh, They were a lot like us today, a lot of us, whitewashed tombs, a lot of Christians today. Outwardly, we have it all together. Our family looks nice. Outwardly, we know all the commands of Christ. Outwardly, we sparkle for Christ, and we walk into church with a strut. But inwardly, we just kind of do our own thing. We don't follow what He says. We don't know the Scripture, so we don't follow the Scripture. Inwardly, we're not led by the Holy Spirit. I could have made this sermon like an hour long. Let me land the plane. When you become a Christian, a couple things happen. First off, when you become a Christian, you are justified. Uh, That means you're declared righteous before God. In that moment, you are what the Scripture says, born again. Uh, When that happens, when you are born again, you are saved from your sin. So your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins, you're saved from all of those sins the day you are justified. You're not just saved from your sins, you are saved from eternal wrath and punishment that you would deserve as a non-Christian and hell. At that point, when you are justified before God, you are given a new heart. Not like literal new heart. Spiritually speaking, you're giving a new heart. Uh, Again, the Old Testament, a prophet, Jeremiah 31, 33. Jeremiah says this, for this is the covenant, well, God says this through Jeremiah, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. After those days is now, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. So the law of God is written on our hearts as Christians. Uh, Through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Uh, What do these two verses tell us? They tell us that when you become a Christian, you're given a new heart. This means that the law is now written on your heart and the Holy Spirit is given to you to guide you to walk in the ways of the Lord, to follow His commands, to follow His statutes. 
When you become a Christian, you are saved from your sins, but you are saved into the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus says, relax just the least of these commandments, you'll be least in the kingdom. But you obey the commandments, you'll be great in the kingdom. What's that tell me? What you do in this life matters. The way that you follow the Lord matters. Your works do not save you. It's the righteousness of Christ that saves you. But you, as a Christian, being obedient to Jesus on this earth matters. Uh, I've taken a while to get there this morning, but here's what I want to hit home. If you write down all the imperative commands of Jesus throughout Scripture, there's hundreds of them. Uh, If you just wrote them down on a piece of paper, none of you in this room, me included, like carry around all the commands of Jesus on like a Word document, and every time we make a decision, we're like, does this follow the commands of Jesus? That's not what's expected of us. But what we have is as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's given to us to serve as a guide to walk with Christ. You're saved from the law. You're saved into the kingdom. So live like you're part of the kingdom. It's really not rocket science. So I guess my point this morning, like my encouragement for you this morning is just give up. Like just give up. Like for the Christian in the room, stop white knuckling your way to all this obedience. All that leads to is frustration and disobedience. That's what the Pharisees did. That's why Jesus says that your righteousness should exceed theirs. It comes back down again to the Beatitudes. What is the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Uh, What is poor in spirit? We're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing that can go before God of our own righteousness that God's going to be like, yeah, man, get that guy in. Uh, God's accepted us in our brokenness. He's given us the Spirit as a guide to lead us in righteousness. He's given all of us in this room who are Christians the ability to lead a flourishing life, but yet we all have a really, really, really hard time figuring out how to do that. We work, we work, we work to show ourselves approved before God, but yet we don't spend any kind of time just sitting quiet before the God, God and asking the Holy Spirit to, to guide us. Uh, Many of you are are really, really confused uh, if you're following the will of God or not. Uh, You ask questions, you're just kind of on this bumpy road, like, am I doing right? Like, am I doing wrong? Should I do this? Should I not do that? Uh, You hit me up for lunch so I can kind of guide you in the will of God, like I know what you should be doing. Uh, You ask your friends, you find your favorite book, whatever. You run to things that you are comfortable with that form you spiritually. All the while, we just kind of ignore the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, The one thing that will perfectly guide you in your life is the Holy Spirit. The one thing that leads you to walk in the will of God is the Holy Spirit. The literal thing that God put inside of us when we are born into His kingdom is the Holy Spirit. But yet, the Holy Spirit is, as Francis Chan said, the forgotten God. We kind of just like ignore it, right? How are you going to know anything about anybody or follow someone if you don't know them or talk to them? Uh, So obedience and spiritual disciplines, somehow they become a dirty word in evangelical Christianity today. I don't know if I'm just a weirdo or what, but the only way I know how to talk to God and how to hear from God is through spiritual disciplines. Uh, Like reading my Bible, allowing the Holy Spirit to like speak to me through Scripture. Uh, How beautiful is the Bible if you read it like that? Um, Praying. And I'm not talking just like, God, bless my day and be with me today and I'm going through this, help me with that. Uh, pray like you lay everything in your life before the Lord. You lay everything down to Him and just ask Him, God, take it. 
The most stressful thing in your life, you have a wayward kid, your marriage is a mess, your job is horrible. Give that to God and just ask the Spirit of God to work in your life. Uh, What Jesus is saying, he's like, life with me isn't easy. It's complete surrender of your life. And this morning, that's what Jesus is asking us for. Not like in a legalistic way, but he's just saying, follow what I'm saying. That's why he says, not one iota, not one dot. Uh, Jesus Christ doesn't want just part of your life. He wants your entire life given to him. And a lot of us, it's like that one thing. It's our money or our addictions or things like that that we don't want to hand over to God because we don't trust that he could do what's right with it. Uh, You know the verse about the potter and the clay, uh, how God is the potter, we are the clay. There's like an old school 90s song about it. But who's the clay to say to the potter, what are you doing? Why are you forming me like that? Uh, Who are we to say to the author of life, like, why are you writing my story like that? You don't tell somebody who writes a book, hey, you're ending it wrong. They're the author. Like at your core this morning, do you trust God? Like with the hardest thing in your life, not the easy things, the hardest things, do you trust God? Do you trust that God could take what you have and you're reluctant to give to him and make it good? That's really, really hard to see if we never talk to him. That's really, really hard to see if we never read about him. Uh, thank God we don't have to go home and like worry about what we have to eat. We're free to eat bacon. Praise the Lord, right? Uh, you don't need to go home and sacrifice your neighbor's goat because you sinned. Uh, Jesus took care of that on the cross. Praise the Lord. Jesus asks you to just give up, like rest in him. Have a relationship with him. Let Jesus Christ guide you. Let his word shape you. Let the Holy Spirit transform you. That has to be your focus. The opposite is just like white knuckles. You're working and you never feel satisfied. You're running and you're always feeling winded. The Christian life really isn't that hard. We just have to stop making it hard. Um, In the first service when we were singing, this verse popped in my mind. I know this sermon's already long, but it's all good. Um, This verse just popped in my mind. In, In Matthew 11, Uh, It's probably one of the most encouraging passages in the entirety of Scripture. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the one where we have to be more righteous than them, uh, they would take disciples under them. And when you would be discipled by a Pharisee or a Sadducee, it would say that you're attaching your yoke to them. Uh, You're connected with them. They're your teacher. And the the teacher and the student are, are right on board, just like a yoke would be with two oxen. But you know what the Pharisees would say about their yoke? They said it's burdensome. It's difficult. We're going to give our people all these rules to follow and just crush them under the thumb of rules. What's Jesus saying? Come to me, all of you who are worn out, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you that walked in those four doors this morning like carrying burdens. If you're a non-Christian in this room, what is it that you're yoked to? What are those things that you just desperately seek that give you pleasure or fulfillment? I promise you, all of those things will end in emptiness. The only thing that can bring you fulfillment is the love of Jesus Christ. And he's asking you this morning, I don't know who you are, lay that down. 
lay that thing down before me, that thing that you're just so desperately carrying. Just lay that weight aside. Give it to Jesus and let him take it. If you're a Christian in this room and you're walking with a limp, stop. Give those things to him. Let the Holy Spirit of God just completely transform your life. We have to spend time with him. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So rest in that. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing one more song. Uh, If you need prayer for anything this morning, uh, if you want to know who Jesus is, uh, if any of this didn't make sense, which I'm sure a lot of it didn't, uh, come ask. Uh, I'd love to pray with you. Some other people on the prayer team would love to pray with you this morning, uh, but let me pray. Father, I thank you for just the beauty of your word. Uh, God, I thank you for just like the narrative story of redemption. Uh, God, how we get to read all this stuff in the Old Testament, and then you come and choose us. Um, in our brokenness, uh, God, you just work in, in miraculous ways. God, the way that you've worked in my life over the past several weeks just with this sermon. God, I just thank you so much for the way that your spirit speaks, uh, the way that your spirit guides. Uh, Father, I pray for all of us in this room that just feel burdened. Uh, we feel heavy laden. We feel like uh, we run to a God in disobedience. But God, you say very clearly, Jesus says, come to me. All who are burdened, all who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Uh, Lord, I pray that instead of white knuckling our way through the faith, God, we could just give up. Uh, Lord, that we could give things to you. God, that we could let you guide, we could let you transform, we could let you do your work. Uh, God, we want to grow deeper with you. Uh, Father, I pray this morning for the person in this room that doesn't know you. Their life is extremely far from you. God, I pray that your spirit is active in this place and saves people today. Uh, God, that you would just be able to allow us to lay everything that we need before you so we could run the race well. Uh, So God, I thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you that you chose us to stand redeemed before you. And God, I just thank you so much for this church. God, grow us deeper and uh, let us be a shining light in this community. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.